Who is Jesus? That is the question for the last three weeks that we've been asking. That is the question that for the last three weeks and for the next five weeks we'll be trying to answer who is Jesus. If you take your bulletin and make sure and tear out those sermon notes on the last page of it so that you can follow along and grab a pen, that would be awesome. The last three weeks we've seen 22 people in this auditorium make decisions for Jesus, to say yes to Jesus, to say yes to following Jesus for this very reason. When people really find out who Jesus is, when you really understand who Jesus is, it changes everything. And if we could really study in a way that allowed us to fully understand everything that Jesus is to the world and to us, it would transform our life in radical ways. And today in our series, Jesus is going to the next level, both in his statement of who he is and in his promises of what he'll be to us. The first two weeks of the series, we looked at Jesus' phrase that he was the bread of life. And Jesus said, as the bread of life, come to me and I will change your life. Last week, Jesus said he was the light of the world. And Jesus said, as the light of the world, follow me. In the darkness in your life, I'll expose and I'll eliminate so that you don't have any dark areas in your life that you're ashamed of. And today, Jesus is gonna say that we can come to him as the gate, but he's gonna make us this promise. As the bread of life, he said, come to me. As the light of the world, he said, follow me. He said, as the gate, you can use me to connect to God. And I don't know about you, but if, if it's possible to be connected to the God of the universe, if it's possible to be connected to the God of the heavens and the earth, I want that. Jesus today tells us how to have that in John chapter 10. We're only going to read 10 verses, but they're packed with truth. They're packed with transformation. If you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 10. If you didn't bring your Bible today, our ushers have some that you can use or you can dial it up on your phone or on your tablet. Uh, every Sunday, we, ha- we pass out Bibles if you need them. So if you'd like to have one today as we read along about who Jesus is, just wave at the ushers. They'll give you a Bible. We've passed out more than 700 that people have taken home with them since our church began. So if you don't know where yours is or you just want a new one, put your name in it and take it home, uh, we'd be glad for you to have one. And every Sunday, bring your Bible because we're going to open it. We're going to study it. We're going to learn who God is through his word. And in John chapter 10... In verses 1 through 10, we learn something pretty powerful about Jesus. And here's what Jesus says. Very truly, I tell you Pharisees, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from a stranger because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. Now, Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees didn't understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep haven't listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in. They will go out. They will find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that they might have life and that they might have it to the full. You know, there's a lot we can learn in these 10 verses today about the real Jesus that can radically shape our life. But we have to be open to understanding a little bit of the context of why Jesus gave this little analogy of a shepherd and a sheep and of a gate and what it means in our life according to the words of Jesus. So today I want to teach you a little bit about the gate 
but I'm teaching you so you'll understand who Jesus is on a level that has the ability to radically change your life. Here's the first thing you need to understand about these 10 verses about the gate. These 10 verses are a conversation about a person. Jesus is literally having a conversation about a person that he met in John chapter 9, a person he ministered to in John chapter 9, and everything Jesus just said is in response to a question that we'll look at a little later. But this whole conversation is about a person, and he's speaking to a particular group of people. Look at John 10 verse 1. He said, very truly I tell you Pharisees. I want you to underline those two words, you Pharisees, or circle them in your Bible, or highlight them, or write them on your sermon notes, or maybe just underline those two words on your sermon notes. Because Jesus is speaking to a very specific group of people. He's basically saying, I want to tell you people. And these people, we know a little bit about who they are. When we study the history of the Pharisees, you see this group, this word, this name, these people all over the New Testament, all over the story of Jesus' life. Who who are these people? The word Pharisee in its Jewish form means the separated one or separatist. They were a group of people who were known and wanted to be known by how different they were from everybody else. They wore special clothes and garments to distinguish their devotion to God and the study of his word. They were a group that didn't always exist, but they formed during the Jewish captivity in Babylon between 597 and 539 BC. And they formed because up until that time, the only way to worship God was through sacrifices at his temple. And what we find out is that basically when they got to captivity, there was no temple. The Babylonians tore it down. Um, There were no sacrifices. They didn't allow that to be done. They had to find a new way to worship God. So these Pharisees formed a group and they made following God's laws. And then all the rabbinical or all the teachers interpretations of the laws, their form of worship, once the temple and the sacrificial worship was destroyed by the Babylonians. They were fierce Jewish nationalists who considered all other races spiritually inferior to the point of being spiritually unclean, which is one reason they hated Jesus so much because he was willing to talk with to eat with, to minister to the Gentiles. He hung out in Samaria. He actually made the Samaritan one time the hero of his story. They hated this because anything that was less than fully Jewish, they were against. They reshaped the heart of the Jewish religion, unfortunately, from connecting with the God of Israel to obeying the rules of the God of Israel. And in Jesus' day, they were the most influential religious group in the nation of Israel. These Pharisees, you Pharisees, were very important in Israel, and they were very opposed to Jesus. Those are two things you need to understand to set the context of what we're going to learn today. The Pharisees were very important in Israel. They were very opposed to Jesus. And these Pharisees, specific Pharisees in John 10.1, had made a very specific statement about Jesus that set up his teaching, his narrative, his dialogue in John chapter 10. And we have to go back to John chapter 6 to trace all this dialogue and the statement that they made because in John chapter 6, Jesus began to prove by his actions that he was from God. He, he did things like feeding 5,000 people with just a few fish and a few loaves of bread. The Bible says 5,000 men. Most historians think there were probably fifteen to 20,000 people there by the time you added all the women and the children. So he began to do things to distinguish himself as somebody who had come from God. And then he began to say things like, I have come from God. After feeding the 5,000 and proving he was supernatural, he said, I actually, I am the bread of life. I'm the bread. I've come from God. If you put your faith in me, 
you can be connected to God. This made the Pharisees very upset. In John chapter 7, he was at the Feast of Tabernacles, and we talked about this last week. He kind of ruined the big moment of their big party, and he said, you need to understand all this tradition you're following, that's all great, but I'm better than the tradition. Actually, the tradition points to me, you need to follow me instead, which made them very, very upset. And after a spat with Jesus, he came back in John 8, 12, and he said, you need to understand I'm the light of the world. Like, if you will follow me, you're going to have life with God. If not, you're going to walk in darkness, which led to the greatest disagreement in the history of the New Testament. And now we see John in John chapter 9, Jesus and his disciples are on a stroll. They come across a blind man. His disciples said, who, who sinned, him or his parents, that God would curse him with blindness? And Jesus said, you don't understand. It doesn't work that way. God doesn't curse you with blindness for your sin. And he said, this has happened so the glory of God can be revealed. And he healed the guy. The Bible says he, like he spit in the mud. He made some mud on his hands. He put it on the guy's eyes and, and he could see. And this guy and his family threw a party and they went into the tabernacle and, and they went into the temple and they started celebrating and they caused such a ruckus on the Sabbath, which was kind of their holy day, that the Pharisees pulled him aside, basically arrested him and said, what are you, what are you doing? You can't do this on the Sabbath. Then he said, well, like I was just healed, like I was blind and now I can see. They said, that's impossible. They said, go get your mom and dad. So his mom and dad came and they said, he said he was blind and now I can see. And they said, yeah, that's true. And they said, how'd it happen? His parents said, I don't know. And they asked the guy, how'd it happen? And he said, Jesus did it. Jesus, who in John chapter 6 said, I can connect you to God, I'm supernatural, and the Pharisees hated him for it. Jesus, who in John chapter 7 said, I'm greater than all the Old Testament prophets, and the Pharisees hated him for it. Jesus, who in John chapter 8 said, I'm the light of the world, you have to follow me, and all the Pharisees hated him for it. Now has this man saying, Jesus did it, and he's awesome. And they kept saying, you need to give glory to God, not Jesus, because we're not sure Jesus is from God. And he said, well, I do give praise to God, but God used Jesus. And he basically, after having this conversation, said, why do you keep asking me so many questions? Do you want to follow Jesus too? And they made this statement in John chapter 9, verses 28 and 29. It says, they hurled insults at him. That was the man who'd been healed. And they said, you are this fellow's disciple, but we're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. Now, you need to underline the last few words of verse, of verse 29 in John chapter 9, because this is the fourth instance of this statement that they made about Jesus. We know God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. It was well known in the life of Jesus that his mom got pregnant before she was married. We read about it in all the biblical accounts that Mary, while she was betrothed to Joseph, found herself to be with child of the Holy Spirit. And this was a spiritual knock on Jesus. The fact that his mom got pregnant before she was married, this was kind of a big deal. And the Pharisees' attacks on Jesus, specifically in this area, had become intensely personal. And any time Jesus would say, follow me, or I've come from God, or God's doing great things through me, they would throw this fact in Jesus' face that, listen, we all know, like, you're this illegitimate child. In John chapter 841, Jesus talking to them about where he'd come from, they said to him, we're not Ill illegitimate children. They publicly threw this in his face, this fact that it's kind of this well-known thing. His mom had gotten pregnant before they married. In John 8, 19, they asked him, where's your father? Kind of a dig at you know, th this is literally Jewish smack talk for who's your daddy. Like 2,000 years ago, it was just a little more formal. Well, where's your father? That wouldn't sound funny today. But that's, that's the thought of this, is they're kind of digging him 
because who his real dad is. In John 8, 48, the Jews answered him and said, aren't we right in saying you're a Samaritan? What was a Samaritan? A Samaritan was someone who had a Jewish mother, but a father of kind of unknown ethnic descent. So they're digging at Jesus. A Samaritan was someone who, when the Jewish women were left behind in the time of Assyrian and Babylonian captivity, the Jewish women were raped by the Assyrian and Babylonian men, and they gave birth to children who were half Jewish and half something else. No one really knew what the dad was. This is what they said about Jesus. You're just like one of them. So they dug at Jesus and his character and who he was, and their statement about Jesus was basically, we won't follow or recognize you as anything special. We're not going to follow or recognize Jesus as anything special. The Pharisees that Jesus was speaking to were the religious leaders of Israel, but they hated Jesus. And this was a problem for Jesus, and this was a problem for everyone who followed the Pharisees because the Pharisees kept them apart. They kept people from Jesus. So their statement was, we're not going to recognize Jesus as anything special. Jesus had a statement for them. In John 9, 39, speaking to the blind man who can now see about them, here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, for judgment I've come into this world so that the blind will see. That was the guy he was talking to. And so that those who see will become blind. I don't know if Jesus pointed to them. But we know Jesus was talking to them. I think the blind man kind of said, man, why don't, like, why don't these people like you? And Jesus said, well, I came to help people like you who are blind see. And then there's people like them who they can see, but are spiritually blind. And the Pharisees heard him say this. So they asked this question. In John 9, 40, some of the Pharisees who were with him heard him say this. And they said, what? Are we, are we blind? You talking about us? So we see this conversation about this man led to this question, and the question was, are we spiritually blind? And Jesus could have said yes. Jesus could have said no. But Jesus didn't do either one of those things. Instead, he did something that benefits you and I today, because instead of answering the Pharisee's question, he answered the spiritual question. He said, instead of saying yes, you're blind, or no, you're blind, he said, let me, let me just show you what spiritual vision looks like that connects you to God and what spiritual blindness looks like that separates you from God. And then you can choose. See, if he answered the Pharisees' question, then we want to read this just to see what he said to them. But in answering the question the way he did, he said to those of us who are sitting here today, November 2nd, 2014, he said, I'm going I'm to let you decide for yourself. I'm going to show you what spiritual vision looks like that connects you to God. And I'm going to show you what spiritual blindness looks like that separates you from God. And then, then you can choose. So this goes from a conversation about a person, number two, to a conversation about all people. And Jesus said, I'm just going to show you how this works spiritually, and then, and then you can decide. And in John 10, he gives this little analogy, what John calls a figure of speech. In John 10, 1, he said, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice, but they'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. Now, Jesus used this figure of speech for the Pharisees. They, they didn't understand what he was telling them. What, what Jesus did is he just told a story. I mean, he, just, he just gave this analogy that spiritually they should have understood. Because sheep and shepherd, 
Like this is a long-standing picture of God and his people in the Jewish faith. Even people who didn't grow up in church have heard Psalm 23.1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There's this theme in the Old Testament that, that God is the shepherd of his people and his people are seen as sheep. Like all, all these people would have understood this. And you need to remember the Pharisees had refused to put their belief in Jesus in order to connect to God. So Jesus is saying, God sent me, the, the shepherd sent me to connect the sheep to him. But you were keeping people away from God. And he referred to them three ways, as thieves, as robbers, as strangers. And Jesus said, any apparent way to connect to God by any means other than me. Anybody who's trying to tell people you can connect to God but not through Jesus, they're stealing from you spiritually. They're robbing you of forgiveness and eternal life. They're a stranger to the plan of God. And Jesus said, you thieves, robbers, and strangers... You were supposed to be the gatekeepers. Like as spiritual leaders of Israel, you were supposed to be the gatekeepers. A gatekeeper was one hired on behalf of the shepherd to take care of the sheep. Most shepherd, when they brought their sheep back into town, would hire the gatekeeper. They would give the gatekeeper all their sheep, and then they would come get them in the morning. And the gatekeeper really had two roles. One, they had to clearly recognize the shepherd. They had to realize, these are not my sheep, these are his sheep. And when he shows up in the morning, I have to realize he has entrusted his sheep to me and I have to let him into his sheep and I have to let his sheep out to him. My job, secondly, the goal of the gatekeeper is to keep the sheep and the, and the shepherd together. That's our goal. We are hired to make sure that the shepherd and the sheep don't get separated. And Jesus said, all you have done is make sure that the sheep and the shepherd can't get together. Like, you were hired on behalf of God as a spiritual leader in Israel to clearly see when God showed up to connect his people to him, and you're getting in the way. Now, man, we ask this question that I think is valid today as it was 2,000 years ago. The question is, what's separating people from God? And the answer in this text is seemingly everything. I mean, it seems like everything in the New Testament separated these Pharisees from Jesus because they refused to see him for who he was spiritually. Look at John 9, 15 and 16. Because I see in John 9, 15 and 16 a lot of modern day Christianity. After finding the blind man who'd been healed and coming and saying, now tell us what happened. In verse 15 it says, therefore the Pharisees asked him how he'd received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. Now listen. They said, you were blind, now you see. Tell, it, tell, us, how, tell us how someone took you who were blind, and they made you able to see. And the guy said, well, here's how he did it. And the Pharisee said, see, I, I told you he did it the wrong way. Like he did it, he can't be from God, he did it the wrong way. And they missed the miracle because they were focused on stupid stuff. Later in scripture, we see Jesus go to a town that had a demon-possessed man who was so feared in the village, they chained him up outside the village, 
to the tombstones because those were the only things that could hold him and he would break those chains and Jesus when he healed him and scripture says that the demons went from the man to a herd of pigs and they all rushed down into the water and drowned and it says when the people showed up they saw the man who the entire village feared and he was sitting and he was right in his right mind and, and he was okay and they saw that the pigs were gone and they told Jesus you should leave you just killed the pigs and there's a lot of people who every time they look at a ministry they see the mess instead of the ministry and they complain about it and a wall and a wall is built between the shepherd and his sheep so so let me ask why 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 do we got to be so negative why do we got to criticize any place that god is working that may not be exactly how we want it to be you know when i look today at what's keeping people from god what's separating people from god this isn't going to be on your notes but you might want to write this down i look at our congregation and the family members of people in our congregation and the friends of people in our congregation and here's what i hear is keeping people from god in lee summit in 2014 it's what i call the killer bees the killer bees six things it starts with b i, I think the first is busyness when i talk to people who come to our church occasionally or who love God but, but never really interact with Jesus is because they're busy. It's not because they're bad, it's because they're busy. Listen, I mean, you're busy, I'm busy. Your kids have practice this week, your kids have games this weekend. You got projects, you're gonna have to go home and work. We, we all got stuff going on. And when we look at today what separates people from God, busyness separates a lot of people from God. And we've got to recognize that and do something about it. Secondly, I see a lot of bad experiences that separate people from God. There are people who have had bad experiences in a church or with a pastor or with a Christian. And the wall has been built up that has separated them. Regardless of everything they've ever seen God do, they've got this one thing that God didn't do right for them. They've had a bad experience that keeps them separated from God. I see a lot of people, thirdly, who just have bad vibes about Christianity. Christianity to them is some political pundit that they don't care for. Christianity for them is the self-righteous guy in the cubicle that, uh, that's, just, that's just a jerk. I had a businessman at the end of the first message come up after hearing this, and he said, literally, he said, Christians are our worst customers in my business because they've always got a reason why they can't pay or they pay late. He said, Christians to us, when someone really starts sharing their faith, we think, uh-oh, this person's not going to pay. That's a bad vibe to put off to people spiritually. Some people, it's, it's bad information. They're following maybe another God another way because it's all they know. It's all that they've been told. They've got bad information which separates them from Jesus. For some people, it's bad habits. They've just got things that they've heard. If you become a Christian, you can't do these things anymore. And they say, I'd rather do these things than follow Jesus. For some people, it's, it's bad traditions. They're never truly going to connect to Jesus because they're holding on to their tradition more than Jesus. You know, we had somebody in the same month it's two different people in the same month who had been a part of our congregation, volunteered and served, who ended up going to church someplace else. And I called him to say, hey, man, is there anything we could have done better, anything we could have done differently? And I had two people in the same month that told me, you know, we're just, um, your church is just too big. We're looking for something smaller. And I said, all right. And then like three days later, I had somebody say, you know, your church is just a little too small. We're looking for something a little bigger. And I thought, all right. We've, we've had people who have come here and then found other places because the music's too loud or we use the Bible too much or we use the Bible too little. And what I've realized is if we let people make choices, we would never have a choice because people are less concerned about what Jesus is doing than how they want it done. 
And that's pathetic. But that's the story of spoiled rotten Christianity in America. Yes, we know Jesus is doing this, but I would prefer it be done this way. I know Jesus healed that guy. I mean, if he could have done it on Monday, that would have worked much better for me, right? Like, that's what the Pharisees are saying. And we've got this conversation about Christianity that's separating people from God. The better question, though, scripturally, is what should separate people from God? And the answer is nothing. What does separate people? Just pick something. You can find a reason people stay distant from Jesus. What should separate people from God? The Apostle Paul says nothing. Romans 8, 35 through 39. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship? Or persecution or famine? Or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. For Paul says, I'm convinced neither death nor life. Neither angels nor demons. Neither the present nor the future nor any powers. Neither height nor death nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we got to quit talking about Christianity and the conversation needs to start talking about Jesus and what Jesus has done. Because I love what happened in John 9, 16. The Pharisees came and said, how did he do it? And he's like, oh, he made some money. But they're like, see, he did it the wrong day. But somebody with a brain in their head was standing there in the second half of verse 9, 16. Others said, well, wait a minute. Like, can a sinner really, like, give someone their sight? Like, someone with a brain in their head stepped back and said, hang on a minute. We see how you're using this as a divisive issue, but let's think about this for a minute. This guy was blind. Jesus made him see. Maybe we should check out this Jesus thing. I love even better the man's answer when they kept telling him, Quit giving credit to Jesus and give credit to God. In John 9, 24 through 25, maybe the greatest answer that anyone has ever had when someone asked about Jesus. It says, the second time they summoned the man who'd been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, we know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. You know what I know as a pastor? I know that I don't know everything about Jesus. I don't think Jesus is a sinner. I mean, I really don't. From what I believe about Scripture, I don't think He is. But even if He is, He's changed me. Jesus has changed my life. I cannot prove that Jesus is eternal sitting in heaven right now answering my prayers. But I know I've prayed prayers that have been answered. I know Jesus has changed me. And we live in a world that says, when you have all the answers, you can go start telling people about Jesus. No, John 9 says, when Jesus has done something for you, that's all the proof that you need. I don't know everything about Jesus. But I know what he's done for me. We're beginning a series the first Sunday of December called Story. Because we believe if we're going to impact this community and our friends and our neighbors for Jesus, that we have to learn to tell our story through the lens of who Jesus is. And then in January, we'll start a campaign through our small groups. And we're going to teach every person in our church to tell their, their life story through the lens of what Jesus has done. It's going to be unbelievable. Because the conversation has to begin to shift towards Jesus. We're going to kick off that series on December 7th with what we're calling Friend Day. We're asking everyone that day to bring a friend. Clayton King, who's one of the greatest preachers in the world, is going to be here. He's got the ability to help people far from God see Jesus like no one I've ever met. And we're asking people to bring friends that day that they want to meet Jesus. And I can make you a couple promises. We will not answer all their questions. Probably cannot answer all their questions. We cannot apologize for every bad experience. We cannot teach them how to get rid of all their bad habits. But we can tell them about Jesus. 
And like this man says, then they can decide what they want to do with Jesus. So this conversation ended up going from a person to all people. Why? Because number three, this was a conversation about spiritual life. This was a conversation about how to be alive spiritually. And I don't know about you, but I want to be alive spiritually. I want spiritual life. I want a vibrant spiritual life. I want to feel connected to God. Jesus said, here's how you do that. Look at verses 7 through 10 one more time. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep haven't listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They'll come in, they'll go out, they'll find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. I want you to notice here that Jesus has removed the gatekeepers. Jesus said the shepherd had a sheep and he hired gatekeepers to make sure the shepherd and the sheep, and you all got in the way. So he said, you're fired. Like he Donald Trumped him. Like he's like, you're fired. Like gatekeepers are gone. And he transitioned to, I, I am the gate. Why? Because Jesus always wants to remove anything that separates people from him. I mean, Jesus is looking into your life, trying to figure out how he can remove things that are keeping you from following him with all your heart. And Jesus says, I am the gate. Now, you have to know a little bit about ancient Near Eastern shepherding and even shepherding today, Middle Eastern shepherding to understand this phrase. Because when Jesus says, I am the gate, you need a knowledge that when the shepherd and his sheep had to spend the night in the wilderness, the shepherd would literally become the gate. I want to show you a picture and leave, leave this picture up until I'm ready to transition, if you would, Heather. When we were in Israel a few years ago on the first trip that we took to Israel, our group was at the Dead Sea. We hung out in the cave of David and then we went and floated in the Dead Sea. It's fun, burned a little bit. You'll experience that one day if you ever go. You'll know what that means. And then we headed back to Jerusalem. We were on Interstate 90 in the West Bank, driving north. Then we had to Jericho, and we hung a left. And as you go from Jericho to Jerusalem, it's, it's all uphill. Like, you have to pop your ears like you're driving into Colorado. And on the side of the road are all these Bedouin tribes, because you're in the West Bank, and there's, there's a lot of Bedouin tribes, a lot of poverty there. You see all these shepherds hanging out on the hills with their sheep. And there were all these things on the side of the road, like, like little walls, but with a hole in them, like little horseshoes. And the first time we were there, I asked the guy, I said, what, what is that? And he said, oh, that's, a, that's the sheep pen. I said, how's it work? And he said, well, if the shepherd doesn't have time to get the sheep like, back to the house, he said, he'll, he'll put them all in there. And I said, but there's... Like, how does he keep them in? And he said, the shepherd becomes the gate. Go to the next picture. I found this in a children's book because it's the best picture of it. He said, the shepherd will literally, when they're in the wilderness, like, he'll, he'll, he'll get all the sheep inside, and then he'll lay down across the door, and, like, he becomes the gate. The sheep can't get out of his protection with literally without walking over him. And the danger cannot get in unless it goes through Jesus because the shepherd becomes the gate when Jesus said I am the gate he said I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to protect you I'm going to guide you 
I'm going to give you spiritual life. And I want you to look at what spiritual life with Jesus is because he gives us three things that the shepherd would do in the wilderness. That mean like if Jesus would do these for us, everyone would want to follow Jesus. In John 10, 9, Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They'll come in, they'll go out, they'll find pasture. Three things, they'll come in, they'll go out, they'll find pasture. If we follow Jesus, what happens as the gate when we come in? Every night when the sheep would pass through the gate, they were inspected and they were cared for by the shepherd. He would stand at that little entryway and he would look over every sheep every day that came in to make sure it hadn't been bruised, beaten up, cut in any way. And how many of you had a night this week? Where you, where you came home with some bruises. You came home with some hurt. You came home with some cuts. Like how many of you had some nights this week that before you turned off the ignition in your garage and you took a deep breath, like you just needed Jesus to care for you for a moment before you went to bed. Jesus said, if you follow me and if you understand following me as the gate, literally every night when you come in, I'll do a spiritual checkup on you and I'll, and I'll just make sure, I'll make sure you're okay from the wounds you receive that day living life. And I don't know about you, but there's, there's a lot of days in my life where I come home and I probably need a little, a little spiritual treatment before I head to bed. Jesus said, as a shepherd, I'll be with you when you go out every morning. When the sheep would pass through the gate, all they had to know was to follow the shepherd. They didn't need to know where they were going. They didn't need to know what they were doing. Literally every morning, if they knew where the shepherd was going, they were going to be okay. And here's the big difference between Middle Eastern shepherding and what we see in America as kind of agricultural livestock. I didn't know this till, till I went to Israel a few times and I saw this play out. But in America, we heard things. We push from behind, we drive, we corral, we lead from the back towards where things need to go. This is not how shepherds lead in Israel. In Israel, and we saw this so clearly, we were at this ancient town called Beit Shan, and at the end of Beit Shan, there's this big hill called Mount Gilboa, where King Saul and his sons were killed in a battle with the Philistines. And our whole group was kind of up on top of Mount Gilboa, and we saw this little shepherd boy, Middle Eastern shepherd boy, we were kind of in the Palestinian section of Israel. And he was just walking with his little shepherd stick and his sheepdog. And he would kind of whistle and yell every now and then. And he was just walking through this field. And we're standing up on this hill just watching this guy walk through this field thinking, that's weird. And then eventually you see a little sheep following him. It's like, oh, he's got a sheep. And then another one. And another one. And they must have come. So you were there 10 minutes, 15 minutes? I mean, there, there were dozens, if not hundreds of sheep that just one by one were following after another. And we watched them cut through the middle of nowhere to this stream around the corner of the hill that the shepherd knew who he was. And our whole group just stood and watched them for like 20 minutes, one at a time, sheep following after sheep. Shepherd first one out until he led them all where they could get a drink. And then he sat down with his little sheepdog to rest while all the sheep were drinking. That's how Jesus leads. Jesus doesn't get behind us with a pitchfork and nudge us forward. Jesus says, follow me. I'll go first. Follow me. When you come in, I'll take care of you. When we go out, I'll lead you. And then he says this. He said, if you follow me, you're going to find pasture. The goal of the shepherd was to find pasture where the sheep would be provided for and where the sheep could rest. And I don't know how many days of your life 
you need Jesus to provide for you. I don't know how many days of your life you need spiritual rest. Here's what I know. If you follow Jesus, he'll give that to you. Jesus said as the gate, when you come in, when you go out, when we spend time together, you're going to find pasture. can't imagine how thirsty those sheep were following that shepherd that day in Israel. It was hot. There weren't any streams like anywhere, except for this one little area kind of tucked behind this little town. But the shepherd knew where it was. And as long as the sheep followed him, some of them didn't even follow him. They just followed the other sheep. They were all moving in the same direction. They were provided for. And then he knew that they needed to rest, so he would take them to a place where they would get rest. And some of you are restless spiritually, so you're tired spiritually. The answer is follow Jesus. Some of you are hungry spiritually. You don't feel as close to God as you used to be. If you follow Jesus, he'll meet that. Some of you are thirsty spiritually. You've been serving too much, volunteering too much, giving too much. You've been doing so much work, but you've not spent any time with Jesus. Follow Jesus. Man, does this sound like something you need? Spiritual checkups at night, spiritual direction in the morning, pasture during your days. Let me give you some tips for following Jesus as the gate in your life. And this, this is like Christianity 101. These are, these are reminders for probably most of you. But here's my, my money back guarantee to you. If you will, today's November 2. If you will do this every day through December 1, I promise you your life will look different spiritually. I promise you. I promise you your life will feel different spiritually. I promise you you'll feel more connected to Jesus. What are some tips for making Jesus the gate in your life? Number one, don't end your day without checking in with Jesus. Don't end a day without checking in with Jesus. Envision yourself walking into that sheep pen and him checking you over. How do you do this? Two great ways to do this are by journaling and by praying. I've got a journal that sits on my desk and I have begun to write in it. The last thing I do every day is I go just write in my journal what happened that day. There are days that are the greatest days on planet earth. And I say, God, what an unbelievable day. And my prayer that day is like, thank you. This was a good one. And there are many days where I write in the journal, man, today was tough. And I'm worried about tomorrow. And man, I'd had this bad experience. And my prayer that night is like, God, help me. But see, when I check in with Jesus every night, there's something about that little thing that David did that we call the book of Psalms. Where we just kind of reflect. Just, you don't have to, you don't have to write Dear Diary. You don't have to write a page. But just jot some notes down, how you're feeling, what's going on, what, what maybe spiritual bruises you have. And there's something about the ointment of prayer that when you wake up, Jesus is taking care of you. Tip number two, don't start your day without stopping by Jesus. As you leave the spiritual pen every day, make sure you stop by the shepherd. Let me give you three simple ways to do that. Read your Bible. Man, read your Bible. I know everyone in here can read a chapter of their Bible every day. It takes less than five minutes, I promise you, unless you get a long one in Psalms, and then it, it might take eight or ten. But usually it's less than three. If you will go home this month and commit to read the book of John, just one chapter a day, you're going to miss a few days, 21 chapters. In December, your life will look and feel different if you read your Bible. My 13-year-old son has begun to read a chapter of his Bible every day, and up until doing this recently, really the only thing he ever read was video game instructions. If Christian can read the Bible, you can read the Bible. Chapter a day. He told me today how far he's come. He's on the last plague of Israel. Started at Genesis. It's almost through two books of the Bible. Now, read your Bible every day. Secondly, I want to challenge you to listen to Christian music on your way to work. You don't have to listen to it all day, every day, but on your way to work, nothing but Christian music for a month. 
And tell me if your soul doesn't feel different. And then thirdly, if you don't want to do those things, or maybe you want to do something that's a little easier, I want to challenge you to read a devotional book or register for a devotional email or text. This website here, Pastor Rick Warren is a pastor of a church in California. You can sign up for his daily devotional where literally every day when you get to work, there'll be a 60-second devotional waiting in your inbox. You can click on your computer. You can read kind of a spiritual thought of the day. I promise you, if you start your day stopping by the shepherd at the gate, your life will be different. Number three, look for and notice how Jesus has provided for you. And rest knowing that Jesus has you covered. It's hard to do in a life that drives like our lives in this culture drive. But on Wednesday, I'll leave with a crew of 14 from our church, and we're going to go to Kenya for 10 days, and we're going to minister in the mountain villages of Kenya. And one of my favorite things about going to do mission work every time is when I get there, my eyes are open to how blessed I am, really how spoiled I am living in the great United States of America with all the comforts. Every now and then we complain so much about what we don't have. We don't stop and look at the pasture that God has set us in and how good he's been to us. And then finally, tip number four, follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. He will never lead you where he hasn't been first. Jesus doesn't drive from behind. He leads from ahead. And in John 10, 10, here's what Jesus said life looks like with him. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you might have life. Remember, 36 times in the book of John, that word's mentioned life. I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. Jesus says the gate. He wants to radically transform, protect, provide, and guide your life but you've got to be willing to follow him with those things in mind. Let's pray together.